0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch.
1: Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice.
2: Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. Glenn James here. Hey, one thing that we know is very common that doesn't get spoken about as much as it should, that's financial abuse within relationships. We know that there are so many relationships out there, and I know there's so many of you that have maybe experienced this yourself, So, just a warning that we will be talking about some of these sensitive topics. And there's others that know people in your life that could be going through this. So, today's podcast, we're chatting with Liz from Teaching Brave, and that's a blog. Liz, thanks for joining us on My Millennial Money.
3: Yeah, no worries. Happy to join.
2: Sweet. Well, let's get it on. Liz... Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, You've got a blog, Teaching Brave, and you cover a whole heap of different things around early childhood education. You've got some book reviews, parenting, money stuff, a bit about your life. Can we start with your story?
3: Yeah, sure. So, basically, I'm an early childhood teacher. I'm a single mum. I've got an 11-year-old son. And I guess I felt like I wanted to share my knowledge, share the experience that I had and what I'd learned in my years as an early childhood teacher, as a mum, and just my money journey as well. Um, I felt like I've improved my situation a lot, and as a single mum, going from uh, extremely broke to now where I am uh, currently, which is um, I've bought my own place i I built my net worth to 420,000 and I'm really proud of where I've where I've come from and where I am now. So I just feel like I want to share that experience and let other single mums out there know that, you know, it, it doesn't have to be a struggle. Uh, when I first became a single mum, I had some family and friends say to me, you're you're a single mum now, like, you know, you're going to struggle. And I just had this sort of notion in my head that single mums always struggled. It was just like a bit of a stereotype. And I really wasn't comfortable with that. I didn't like it. I, I never wanted to be a stereotype of a struggling single mum. So, I just really wanted to share my, my tips, my frugal tips and my journey so that other single mums can, um, you know, sort of have hope or realise they can change their situation and, um, and, and build wealth and, you know, not uh, fall under the stereotype of a struggling single mum.
2: And this is such an important topic of conversation to have because I know for a fact that there are so many single mums and single dads, to be frank.
3: Yeah, single and dads single too. parents,
2: all that stuff. Listen to the podcast. So, I want uh, Liz's story to be an encouragement to you. I want it to be a tool that you might be able to send to somebody else who might be uh, doing it tough. Uh, and they might learn from Liz here today that, well, it doesn't have to be as tough as what they think. No. So, what we might do is, I'll get you to continue on your story and then we'll swing around and cover some financial abuse stuff and then we might head and have a look at some of the money tips and stuff that you've implemented in your own life.
3: Yeah, when it comes to my story, I mean the the sort of the real changes that I've made in terms of my financial journey, I guess have happened since I've um, been single and since I've left relationships, you know, being in uh, two different relationships where I believed I was a victim of financial abuse, um, you know, it's it, it opened my eyes, I guess, you know, now looking back, it's it's changed me. It's made me a stronger person and it's made me realise, you know, what I won't stand for and what, you know, I won't put up with in, you know, if I do have a future relationship. Um but in terms of, um, you know, my story, you know, as, as soon as I became single after, the, after I w- left um, my son's father, yeah, I feel like there was, there was a lot of sacrifices that I made and, you know, I was lucky enough to have a friend that sort of said to me, would you, you know, be interested in living in my, um, this cottage that I know of? And, um, you know, I went to live on a, a property where I was able to rent a cottage for 50 bucks a week. Um, but there was a lot of sacrifice that came with that too. Um, you know, it was, it was a quaint little cottage, but it was, you know, I had, I was living on tank water. So, you know, I wasn't able to drink the water. It wasn't, you know, filtered very well. Um, I had to, you know, go and get water elsewhere. I had to take my big bottle to work and fill it up drink- with drinking water and bring that back so that I had drinking water. When I was living in this place, it would flood often. And, you know, sometimes after a 10-hour day at work when I was tired and bringing home my son from daycare, I'd come home and to stop it flooding, I'd have to go out into the paddock because we we're next to a paddock. I'd have to get down on my hands and knees in the rain and I'd have to clear away all the debris from a pipe that was coming out in the paddock just to make sure that I wasn't going to, you know, let the water come in the house. So, it was, you know, that was sort of happening on a regular basis. So, I'd have to go out there and clear the pipe so it didn't flood. Um, yeah, I was on tank water. I was, um, it was also at a time where my, my parents were not around. My parents don't live in Sydney. So, I was by myself, essentially, um, raising my son alone for one year. Um, so, you know, I'll share a little bit later about um, why I was alone. But, um, mm. yeah, it, it, I felt like there was a lot of sacrifice that came with, you know, um, living in that place. Um, and uh, But what was important to me at the time was being able to save money. I was, you know, living in a place which was a great opportunity for me because I was only paying 50 bucks a week. And my friends sort of came over and they say, why, you know, why do you want to live here? It's so far out. It, you know, it was kind of outskirts of Sydney and um, so far from any of my friends and family and, you know, my friends would, you know, well-meaning friends would say things like, but you can, you know, you can live closer to the city or you can live somewhere so much nicer, you know, closer to the beach and, you know, you can afford that. Like with what you're earning, you can, you can afford that. You can... You know, live there, and you can still pay the rent, and you can still pay your bills. And I thought to myself, the, the bottom line for me was I didn't want to just be living paycheck to paycheck. I wanted to make make sure that I had money to save. I I knew that there had to be something. There had to be something else. There had to be, you know, a way that I could save money to reach my goals. And my my big goal was to have a place of my own and to start to build something for me and my son. I, I didn't want to be the struggling single mum and I knew that if I was living paycheck to paycheck that that would, that would be it. I would be a struggling single mum if I wasn't making sure from then on that I had something to save each week, each paycheck. Um, so, it was important to me to reach those goals and, you know, so a little bit of sacrifice meant that I ha- I could save money and put something aside each week, see it grow and see it build so that I could eventually get a place of my own. That's what was really important to me.
2: So, on the uh, relationship side, did you come out of yeah. any of the relationships with any money?
3: No. Okay. Not at all. So, I'll start with um, my son's dad. So, yeah, sure. Um, you know, yeah. So, we had a bit of a, um, you know, whirlwind romance and, um, you know, he was charming and I fell in love and um, we sort of moved in together after only a few months, but you know, I was happy. And after a couple of years I got pregnant after a few years, when my son was sort of two and a half, three, Tom, my, my ex, Tom actually told me that, uh, he had some family members overseas that were dying of cancer and that he had to go over there to be with them, help pay medical bills because they didn't have long to live. Now, of course, you know, I, I was obviously, I knew all his family was overseas and I was fully supportive of that at the time. I said, sure, of course, you've got family overseas, you know, they're they're sick, You, they need you. So, of course, you have to go. So, at this point, I thought it was going to be a short-term trip. He went overseas and, you know, obviously, he he had to take some of our money that we'd saved together. So, we were saving for a house deposit. Um, I think we had about uh, 40 grand saved at the time. And when he went over there, he said, I've just got to take a little bit of it. You know, I've got to help to pay medical bills. You know, I'll pay it all back. I was like, yeah, of course you do. Like, you know, I was fully supportive. Mm. So, he went over there and um, it wasn't until later I actually found out it was all a lie and he went over there to be with another woman. So, he left and, uh, you know, I was under the impression it was only going to be a few weeks. A few weeks turned into a few months um ended up being around 5 months that he was gone and through that time he um told me that there was more medical bills and then there was more family disaster and uh me not being able to speak the same language as his family um was unable to communicate with them and verify anything that was going on or you know show my sympathy or you know anything at the time so i of course you know agreed i gave him or he took the money that we'd saved together because he apparently needed it. And uh, then he came back home and we officially broke up at that point because, you know, we sort of both knew that there were issues and it was time, um, you know, money aside, there were other issues. But um, he, he then ended up going back overseas to apparently uh, get some money from a house that belonged to him overseas, which was another lie, in fact and uh, took the rest of our money and stayed overseas for another seven months. So all in all, he was actually gone for 12 months where I was raising my three-year-old alone um, and took all of the money that we'd saved. So the whole 40 grand, he'd taken all of it. He said that he was going to eventually give it back to me after this house was sold, which was another lie because he'd, in fact, gone overseas to be with this woman, marry her and travel with her. Now this was devastating to me when I eventually found out.
2: My questions are piling up.
3: Um, oh, that's okay. go ahead.
2: Yeah, so okay, before we continue, uh, just for some practical things, uh, was he a citizen or resident of that other country before he moved to Australia? or yes. okay?
3: Yes, um, he was. So he was a citizen of that country and then he moved to Australia and became a citizen here as well. So sure. he's a dual citizen.
2: And like how did he meet this other woman?
3: Well, apparently when he went over there for a quick trip um, before the the apparent health issues of his family, he'd reconnected with her because he knew her from high school Right, and reconnected with her. And then unbeknownst to me, came back um, to be with me, but was communicating with her online for quite some time. Um, So, it wasn't a new connection, but it was a rekindled old connection, which he continued online until such time as he went back over there to supposedly be with family and was in fact going over there to continue the relationship with her.
2: Now, were you married in Australia?
3: No, Okay. no, we were never married. We were living de facto for eight years.
2: Yep, yep. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's kind of the immediate questions that I had.
3: Yeah. So, um, so, in the time that he, you know, so he took all of our money basically and, you know, left me Raising a three-year-old alone, my parents were not in Sydney. Um, They live out of Sydney. My brother and sister had their own lives, um, you know, working full-time. So, I I was raising my son by myself. I was working full-time and I had no money Mm. because he took all of it. Mm. So, I had no savings. And during that 12 months that he was gone, there was no additional sending me money or anything like that for child support or, you know, to help me or to pay any of it back. It was him leading his life over there and leaving me alone to raise my three-year-old.
2: Does he have any relationship with his son at the moment?
3: He does now, yes. So, he, he married this woman overseas and came back here and um, brought her back here. So, they both live here now and he, is, um, he does see his son now, you know, regularly uh, my son goes over there every second weekend and, yeah, they do spend regular time together.
2: Does he contribute financially to you and your son?
3: He does now. Yeah. He does now. And since he came back, he does pay regular child support, which, um, you know, if he if he wasn't, I would certainly be, you know, taking him to court over that. Mm. But he does pay it regularly. Um, having said that, in the time that he was gone, in that 12 months, there was no money paid and there was none of that paid back either. So, when he came back he did pay me most of what he took in terms of the the combined you know lump sum that was ours he did pay me back that in in um, instalments but he he never paid back any of the sort of maintenance that would have been required during that year the the ongoing child support you know what mm. it cost to to raise a child you know everything feeding them clothing them the bills everything and the child support so there was none of that during that 12 months but since coming back, yes, he is a regular part of Andy's life and does does pay child support now, yes.
2: And you've clearly met his new wife?
3: Yeah, I have. yeah.
2: have you told her to be careful that the position is vacant of the side piece?
3: <laughs> <laughs> it is very difficult, it's difficult because she doesn't really speak English, right. so she's Gosh. um yeah, so she's learning English, but it's she has very little English. Mm. So, communicating with her can be very difficult. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, that's, you know, in terms of um, financial abuse, you know, it's not paying child support's a big deal. And I just feel like, you know, the more people I speak to about this, I realize how often it's happening and how widespread it is. I can't believe how many people, I won't just say men, but I can't believe how many people are getting away with not paying child support. You know, mm. I've got friends, I've got family with stories, and that's just within my small circle of people that I know. So, I can't imagine how many people are out there getting away with not paying child support. It's not okay. Yeah. I don't understand it. You know, it's, there's a lot of people, you know, for whatever the their reason is that they, that they say, that they can't pay or whether, you know, whether it's they don't have money themselves. These people have to be living somewhere. They have to be supporting themselves. Mm. You know, surely there's a way for them to support their child in whatever way they can. But a lot of the times I don't believe that it's they can't. I believe that it's they, they won't or they think that they can get away with not doing it.
2: So, question, you had a blatant event of financial abuse, basically taking money... Uh, and lying about that, right? So, that was a a blatant example. Yeah. Fast forward and in the relationship, when it all came to light, did you look back and see other events that happened in the relationship thinking, oh, hang on, no, he was abusing me financially on all these other little instances, but I just didn't see it at the time?
3: Yes, I believe yes. And you know you're in a relationship, you trust somebody if you if they don't give you a reason to not trust them, you you don't look for reasons to not trust them. Well, that's mm-hmm. me, but I, I had trust in him. I loved him. and I didn't have any reasons not to trust him. but then there started to be you know some red flags here and there. and I do look back and I think, hang on a minute. you know he he told me that money was going to something in particular, and now I look back and think, well, it probably wasn't the case, but is there any point bringing it up now that we're broken up? But it certainly opens my eyes to, you know, people's behavior or, you know, things that I won't put up with in the future. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there were, there were little things like um, he told me that he was sending regular money to his family overseas and I don't know if that was the truth. Mm. Um, I guess I can never really know because he could have had a private agreement, he could have had a private arrangement, I don't know, but he, he was, you know, and a significant amount of money too, we're talking $500 a month or so mm. that he was supposedly sending to his family overseas to support them because they were in a third world country, but, um, you know, I guess I, I'll never know whether that was um, the truth or not. There was another instance where um, he, he bought a car. We both had cars. I had a car, he had a car at the time. And there was a particular car that he really, really wanted. He just, he always had a dream to have this car. And we were both saving, but we were both, you know, had money goals together. And we were sort of, you know, supposedly really open with each other about money and about everything. And he told me that he was, you know, got this really good deal on this car. And, um, and, and, you know, it was his dream car and he was able to score it for, you know, five, $5,000 or something. And it wasn't until later that, um, when, uh, my son, I went to the bathroom one time and my son had, you know, I'd put the, the mail from the letterbox on the coffee table and my, to- my son was a toddler at the time and he walked into the coffee table and he's ripping open some of the mail and I sort of happened to see a, a piece of paper, um, and um, realized that Tom had taken out a loan for about 25 grand for this car. Hmm. And I, I couldn't believe it. I was in shock. I was like, oh, my God, I thought this was like a you know, $5,000 car that was relatively affordable. And here, you know, here he's lied to me and taken out a loan for like 25 grand to buy this car, which we couldn't afford.
2: Yeah. Do you think it's fair to say that it's almost the money part is secondary and the primary issue here is the dishonesty.
3: Oh, a hundred percent. It is.
2: I think because what I'm getting at, like, and all this is new to me, right? Like I I just haven't had an experience like this personally, but I, I'm like, yeah. I write down notes when I do episodes and have discussions. Like sure, I've written down kind of, you know, you've, you've got passive abuse and active abuse. Like I would say it's pretty active when I'm blatantly taking money out of account and sending it offshore without yeah. permission and I'm telling you this is what we're doing. And then you've kind of got this passive abuse that's happening because they're just deceitful and it's just the MO of how they operate and maybe not yeah, even that's right. Not even knowing that they're abusing their partner.
3: Yeah, that's right. It's... Um... Yeah, you're right. It is the dishonesty and, you know, it's it's unforgivable. It's it's horrible mm. when you're experiencing it.
2: So, what, like, if, if I was to say to you, like, well, what are the signs of financial abuse? Could you distill that?
3: Um, I think it's very diff- difficult because it's so different to people's individual situations. Mm. Um, I think, you know, being open and honest with a partner is, you know, it's so important. It's it's crucial. But, you know, how do you know if your partner is not being honest with you, if they're so good at hiding things? Um, you know, signs of financial abuse. I mean, if if you're starting to see red flags like that, you know, in your relationship, um, you know, it's certainly a sign to to delve deeper mm. and talk about, you know, dishonesty and talk about you know, what's going on, you know, when it comes to it, because then, you know, if they're being dishonest about that, what else are they being dishonest about? You know, it could be, it could be a multitude of things.
2: And that's kind of what I said before, almost jokingly, like when someone cheats on their spouse, you know, and then they go and have a life with the person they cheated with, often the position is vacant of the side, person
3: oh yes I know exactly and what's interesting was that Tom said to used to say to me things like I will never forgive my father because of what he did to my mum mm. you know and he he realized from a young age that his father cheated on his mum mm. and he hated that and he hated seeing that his father left and left his mum to raise four kids and oh. she was by herself and she was struggling and he said you know I'll never forgive my dad for that I can't believe that he did that to her Hmm. And then after he did it to me, I reminded him and I said, do you realise you've done exactly the same as what you said you hated your dad did to, to your mum? Mm. You realise you've just repeated the cycle and you've done to me what your dad did to your mum. And he sort of looked at me and just went, well, I guess I never thought of that.
4: Mm. Yeah.
3: And he didn't even realise, but he'd done the same thing.
2: So wild. <laughs> so, do you think like with the whole financial abuse thing, there are obviously different forms but you would imagine that you should start to see symptoms of financial abuse quote unquote before the money issue so like it's kind of a different view a little bit like the dishonesty and the isolation like sure if it was an english-speaking country that's pretty hard to cover up because you're on Facebook, you can message them like, oh, how's the cancer treatment going? Oh, what? No, nothing wrong here. Like,
3: Yeah, um, I know. I guess back then there was barely any social media. Right. I was like talking about, you know, when my son was three, this is eight years ago now. Yep. Um, so I think I might, myself, I might I have had Facebook, but was rarely on mm. it. And, you know, there wasn't really, there was no Instagram or, like, you know, we, I, I wasn't using it anyway. And we weren't really, you know, social media wasn't really a thing for us back then. So, but yeah, you're right, it, it was difficult because it was a third world country and it wasn't until I started getting the help of, of some, it was in fact um, Tom's ex here in, in Sydney and she was helping me to do some translating and find out some truths from his family over there because, you know, I sort of tried to contact them at one point because I hadn't heard from him in so long and just said, you know, where is he? He told me he's going to be in this city, he told me he's going to be calling his son and calling us and telling us where he is and what he's doing. And, you know, I'm trying to contact his family and his family were basically saying to me, what, we don't know, he's not here. We we didn't know he was here, you know. So where he said he was going to be, he wasn't there. His family didn't even know where he was, you know. So he's supposedly with his family and helping them through a health crisis. And even they didn't know where he was. Um, so he was gallivanting about with this woman, obviously. But um, yeah, it, it, it was difficult because of the language barrier for sure.
2: So just on that, like, with this whole relationship thing and I struggle to speak from a place of experience, but I guess conceptually, like if someone was in a relationship, I'm thinking there's two sides of this coin, right? So, let's look at the side of the coin where we split all our money and that's your money, this is my money, and we've got a joint account for bills. I mean, that's good, but I would imagine in a relationship- if there is some abuse going on um, or there is some sneaky stuff going on, by having the one account for you, one account for me, and we keep our money separate, it's probably easier to hide sly things that you're doing because we don't share money. Now, on the other side of the coin, if we are sharing all our money and we've got access to all our accounts, sure, it is easier to abuse and just go for it. So, I guess what I'm saying is it's got to come back to this Um, we're adults and we should be able to look over each other's stuff even if we don't have direct access to that stuff or um, because this whole thing around the abuse thing. So, abusers like to control, right? So, I'm going to say right now, if you're in a relationship and you're told you get X amount to spend a week and it's not like agreed upon because you're an overspender, but like straight up, you can get this to spend it on this only, and you're getting trouble for buying trivial things. And you're an adult, and you can't see the money. I'm sorry, but that's financial abuse.
3: Yeah, 100, it it is. And I think you know, yes, that's one form. You know, in this form, it was it was different because it was you know an issue about child support. It was you know raising a child. It was also being dishonest about money. And you know that's the thing; it can come in so many different forms. And with my ex-previous to Tom with um, my, my first boyfriend, James.
4: Mm.
3: It was completely different. We didn't have a child together. We were living together and he had some significant health issues. At the time, um, he was actually a drug addict and I guess I was in denial of that fact at the time, but he was. He was um, a baker and he was working very long hours starting at sort of 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. So, he'd have to go to bed really, really early Um and obviously, that's a difficult lifestyle for anybody, but, um, you know, he was already sort of getting into the, the you know, the drug scene on the side. And he, so, you know, it ended up to the point where he was, you know, smoking pot to go to sleep and then, you know, taking speed to, to, to wake himself up to go to work in the morning. And that oh. was, he ended up being a vicious, vicious cycle.
2: And you were aware of that drug use, were you?
3: Or? yeah. I was I was aware of it and I mean I was young at the time mm. I was 19 mm. and I was you know this was my first boyfriend I I only got my first boyfriend when I was 19 and I was you know I was in love with him and I thought that this was it and you know he was he was charming you know he would tell me I was beautiful he was you know he was um he was fun to be around but I was just I was young and I was silly and I was I was putting up with this with this constant drug taking.
2: Yeah, I was about to say like that whole putting up the older we get the more street smart we get and the more possibly yeah, 100%. Um, perceived self-value that we learn and get. Yes. I mean it gets to a point where I I want to encourage anyone listening don't put up with crap if there's the weirdest red flag Maybe you could go to a close friend or a close family member and say, hey, am I crazy or, or just have yeah, somebody right. that you can bounce something off in a safe way. They could be, they could laugh and go,
4: uh, no,
2: everyone takes pot to sleep and has speed to wake up. You're living in delusion. Like <laughs> just as a, I mean, that's extreme, but, and that's it. If you don't know, you don't know. And this is the kind of purpose of uh, these interviews, like, if you're in a relationship, like, it's said that love's blind, apparently.
3: it 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 is. At that time, honestly, when I look back now, you know, people that say that, you know, if, if they don't understand it, maybe they haven't experienced it. But 100%, I, I understand it because I've been there.
4: Mm. You
3: know, I, love is blind. And I, I thought I was in love with him. And I thought he was the one and I thought we were going to get married. And, you know, I was, I guess, it all comes down to a low self-esteem and a low self-worth. You know, I, I look at myself in that relationship back when I was 19 and then, you know, I was with this guy for five years though, so 19 mm. through to my early 20s.
2: Very defining years for a young person.
3: It definitely, definitely. And, you know, this whole, you know, I was going to uni, there was this, you know, I don't know whether it was just the people I was hanging around with, but there was a huge drug culture. And, you know, I can't say that I didn't dabble in a bit of it to give it a try and, you know, I don't know if if you want to edit that out or not. No, I can stay. um, It's life. You know, it's okay. Yeah, it's certainly, um, you know, it's something that you you, you have a bit of a try but I knew very early on it wasn't for me whereas he was a very strong addict. Um, Now, you know, talking about the financial abuse side of things, his addiction became so heavy that he started having seizures, uh, grand mal seizures every single night and we thought together that he was developing epilepsy Um, we went to numerous appointments specialists you know neurosurgeons and he had multiple scans and every single one of them came back negative to epilepsy Um, so we had further appointments and further scans and you know MRIs everything because you know he would wake up in the middle of the night almost every night and I would have to, you know, be there for him. I'd be there protecting his body, making sure that he didn't, you know, bump his head on furniture as he'd fall out of bed having a seizure. Gosh. Um, you know, it was it was full on. And, you know, I was worried for him and it was, it was crazy. But, you know, later on, it's, we didn't, you know, realize until later on that the, these were drug induced. He was taking so many drugs that he was having seizures and his mm. body couldn't handle it. He was also so thin at the time. He'd lost so much weight. He was skin and bone. And he was taking so many drugs and he wasn't eating proper foods and he his body was just, you know, rejecting it. And he would have these massive seizures. So therefore, because of his seizures, he couldn't work. So he was a baker, as I said, and he couldn't go and operate heavy machinery and he couldn't drive. And, you know, me being in love, I was thinking, okay, well, it's up to me now. I have to support him. So what did I do? I supported him financially for two years while he sat at home because he couldn't work. He was getting Centrelink payments, but he was spending those Centrelink payments on more cigarettes and more drugs and more beer. And I was going to work and I was working full time and I was paying all of the bills, everything, all of the time Mm. for two years.
2: Now, okay. So, there's a question here. At what point, because I think this is a really interesting thing to camp on and throw around some thoughts and comments and you know, within context of this conversation, like someone don't grab this clip and put it up on YouTube and say I'm an arsehole or whatever. Like there's got to be a tipping point where it's, I don't know how to say this, but it's almost like, okay, in that situation, you could say that it was financial abuse because you were paying all the bills and doing all that. But it almost goes back to this, this was a passive result of you not having the confidence to go, no, I'm better than this and I'm worth more than this. Yes. So, Yes,
3: it's all part of it. It's definitely all part of it.
2: And this is why I just love having these conversations, particularly with people that are under 25 years old. You know, you are worth more than putting up with other people's crap.
3: 100%. And it it comes down again to self-worth because- you know, yes, I was putting up with crap. And looking back, I should have left this relationship way earlier. But I was scared and I was being emotionally blackmailed. Because at one point he said to me, you're the only good thing in my life. And if you leave me, I will kill myself. I will. I will get a knife. And he was describing to me how he would do it if I left him. And I was crying. I was calling suicide hotlines. And I was saying, what do I do? He is telling me that if I leave him, he will kill himself. And they said, well, that's emotional blackmail. I said, yes, I know it is. I, I'm, I I kind of know that it is, but how would I feel if I left and he actually did do it? And I was, I didn't know what to do.
2: Yeah. And this is the kind of the, the dance where I was talking about before, where it's just like, technically, you know, it's not quote unquote textbook financial abuse because I'm putting up with this and I don't know any better and this is a mess. Yeah. But then there's that tipping point where he knows he's got it really good. He's, you know, there's parts of the day where he probably is sober and kind of understands that, oh, this is cool. She's putting up with this. And then the emotional yeah. abuse kicks in.
3: Yes, 100%. So it all it's all part of it because, you know, when I've heard so many other stories, of people that have experienced financial abuse, you know, whether it's, you know, me putting up my financial abuse article on the blog and then on the socials and then people sort of coming back to me with their experiences and it's just, it's eye-opening mm. to hear that, you know, people are often people that are experiencing financial abuse, it's not the only kind of abuse they're experiencing. They're experiencing emotional abuse, they're expe- experiencing verbal and or physical abuse and it's just all part of it. It all kind of meshes together. And it comes down to whether you're going to get yourself out of an abusive situation or not. And 100%, it's about self-worth.
2: Yeah. We'll take a quick break and we'll be back right after
1: this.
2: um, before we kind of go there, I just want to say one thing, everyone, like, I'm just a host of this conversation. I'm not gonna always know the right words to say. I'm just kind of unpacking this in real time. so, uh, if you think I've said something weird or wrong, it's just I'm on this journey of learning more and taking you guys with me. so that's just a caveat that um I'm not a professional or anything. so I wanted to talk about I guess for want of a better word, the exit strategy. Because people could have listened to everything we've said and particularly around that piece where, you know, they are in this emotionally abusive relationship that is costing them money and there can be it could be seen as there's no way out. We need an exit strategy, right? So, I guess- whether it is blatant financial abuse, you know, that passive abuse or the active or you've woken up and gone, hang on, I deserve better than this as a human. I can't put up with this much longer. What would you say as an encouragement from your own experience to help people put together an exit strategy?
3: Yeah, that's a really great great question. And for me, you know, it did help to talk to friends, talk to family about what I was experiencing hearing you know stories about other friends and their relationships and thinking hang on a minute there's got to be more to life than what i'm experiencing right now you know Mm -hmm. i had a bit of a a, um a break so I, i said to my ex um james the drug addict at the time i said i need a bit of a break i just need a few days away just to breathe just to think just to have some time to myself and he respected that at the time he said okay I will go and stay at my mum's place for a week. And I had a bit of a break. You know, I wasn't saying it was a breakup. I wasn't saying I want out of the relationship or anything. I just needed time away just to think and gather myself and, have you know, realise what I wanted out of life and out of my relationships. So I had a break. He went to his mum's for a week. And it was like everything just became clear I could see everything for what it was. I had that break and just went, oh, my God, what am I doing? What am I doing in this relationship? Because when I had that break, I was able to breathe and I sort of, you know, I had conversations with friends. I called, hot, you know, help, help hotlines. I think I, ca- I called Lifeline, you know, shout out to Lifeline because they are there. They are really, really helpful. Um, and, you know, I, I, I realised that I couldn't put up with this anymore. I realised I needed to get out and if I didn't get out, that this would continue and continue and continue because he was using me, he was abusing me and it wasn't until I had a bit of a break, I could breathe, I could have time away from him that I knew I I had to get out because there was nothing good left in the relationship. I I sort of, you know, uh, go pro-con lists. I was making a pro-con list going, why am I in this? Why am I in this relationship? What are the pros? No, I I, I was like, it, it, it was all cons. It was nothing good left anymore.
2: Do you think that, you know, the first big step internally is to actually realise that, oh crap, what have I been putting up with? Oh, the pennies dropped moment. I've had the clear air and I can actually see it for what it is as like the first step. And then the second step, which might even be even harder is to actually tell one of your close friends or family members, because then you get, you've verbalised it, And then there could be this shame or perceived shame that you are looking and asking, look, this is a problem. I think I need out. Can you help me? Like, do you think that's a big problem? I think
3: you've got it spot on there, Glenn. I, I think you do have it spot on because I think when I was in it and when it was bad, I almost felt ashamed to talk about it with friends and family. I didn't want them to know what I was going through. I didn't want them to feel like I was struggling and I didn't want people to feel sorry for me. I wanted to feel independent and so I just suffered in silence. I I was ashamed and, you know, it wasn't until I had a break and I started really thinking about, you know, thinking about years before I was even in a relationship and what I wanted out of life and what I wanted out of, you know, relationships that I had and what I wanted to achieve in my life personally and professionally. Mm. And I thought this relationship is not going to get me this. This is not doing anything for me. So it's it's self-worth. It's 100% realising what you're worth as a person and what you're worth in relationships. And, you know, if, if, if you're getting abused, there's so many different avenues and there's so much, so much help out there you know, you just have to know how to access
2: it. Like, I want to talk about that probably, I think for me, if I've distilled everything we've talked about, it is that self-worth piece. Because if you think like, if you've got really strong self-worth and you get it and you know that, you know, I am valuable and I I don't need to put up with this crap, I am better than this and everyone is better than putting up with crap. You know, that can manifest not just in relationships, you know, change that to a toxic workplace and you've been at this workplace forever. They treat you like crap. It's financial abuse because they're underpaying you. And it's the same concepts. Like you need to leave that place. And it's the same mechanism, right? Like, because we spend a lot of time with people that we work with. So, I think you could actually have this whole conversation and change it from a toxic relationship to a toxic workplace and man, the protagonist looks very similar.
3: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I think you're right about that.
2: Oh my gosh, yeah, it's I like think you've got a point there. Yeah, because when we go back, and this is what I've really been personally working on, and and more in a um, a commercial and a business sense, that you know, our team and our podcasts and our products and our audience we're actually worth more than getting taken advantage of by a big brand that doesn't have a budget and wants to weasel their way in without paying. I know that's a really extreme example, but for me, I'm really looking at that in my own life and going, no, we actually are worth something and we don't have to put up with yeah. rubbish. And I, would res- I just want to use this episode to encourage people, whether you are a single parent, whether you're in a crappy job, whether you're in a crappy house and the neighbours are having a fight every week and you call, uh, you know, the local police station and they say, nothing we can do, call triple, e- tr- call triple zero if it gets too crazy. That happened to me. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like just start to think what wheels can I put in motion to change this situation, knowing that it's not going to happen overnight, but you have to start and have this process.
3: Yes, and I think, you know, in ter- just relationships in general, you know, when people find themselves in, a, um, in relationships and, you know, if the, if the good outweighs the bad, um, you know, people stay, don't they? But, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly a, a, um, a wake-up moment when you realise there's more bad than good or that you're, you, you can identify abuse for what it is. And I think that's really important is that you know there's a lot of people out there who will would be experiencing financial abuse or any kind of abuse but mm. not be able to identify it for what it is.
2: Yeah, because it's probably that whole like you know look up the definition of gaslighting and it's probably good cover all, right?
3: Yeah, hundred percent gaslighting it's um you know it's the whole love is blind and um you know, am I really in love? You know, am I blind to what's really going on? Am I in an abusive relationship? You know, the whole thing with James was, you know, he wasn't contributing. Yes, it came down to my self-worth, but, you know, he he was, you know, sitting at home getting Centrelink money and, mm. you know, essentially playing playing Xbox all day and I was working full-time and it wasn't until I came home one day and, you know, he was playing Xbox all day and he threw me up against a wall um, because I got cranky at him. You know, the house was messy. There was no dinner made mm. and he got angry at me for interrupting him because he, he lost the level or lost the game or died in the game or something. I'd been at work all day and, you know, it was like a wake-up moment for me and I'm like, what am I doing here? He's been at home all day, I'm supporting him financially and he's getting angry at me and pushing me up against a wall because I've said he, the house is dirty and there's no food and he's sitting at home getting a free ride.
2: At that time, um, was he like sober or intoxicated or?
3: Oh, no, he was intoxicated. He was Mm. intoxicated. He was, you know, playing video games and, you know, and and the house was a mess and there was no food. And, Mm. and, you know, I'd been at work doing probably a 10 or 12-hour day and came home and said, oh, you know, sort of made a comment like, oh, you couldn't at least get dinner ready or something. And Mm. I'd interrupted him and, you know, he pushed me up against a wall and it just was a wake-up moment for me. I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? It just,
2: ugh. I really get so much rage, um, you know, for the guys listening out there, you know, grow up, stop being a 15 year old boy, you know, it's just, oh, I I just, I'm so like, um, thankful that you have shared your story, um.
3: Yeah, it's, you know, like it's it gets me emotional every time I talk about it and mm. it just it does bring it all back, you know. It's my experience and I lived it and I, it just, you know, whether I'm telling friends or I'm talking to you about it, 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 it brings it all back. So I do, mm. you know, you essentially experience it again when you talk about it. But, you know, I just hope, you know, like I have on some of the socials that it can help somebody else. It can open people's eyes to, you know, help them to realise if they're in a bad situation, that mm. there are options, there are mm. ways to get out. There's help out there, Mm. Um, there's hotlines um, and there's definitely ways to get out. There's also a lot of people out there experiencing financial abuse that don't realise that it is a financial abuse, whether it's an ex not paying child support, which happens so often that I'm Mm. hearing about, or whether it's just a partner who's sitting at home not working and not contributing, because I've heard many stories like that as well, where there's one person going out, doing all the work, contributing everything and you know, the husband or, you know, maybe not the husband in every situation, but in some situations that I know of, a husband sitting at home not working, not bringing home any any kind of income at all mm. and is fully able to work and yet doesn't contribute to the household expenses in any way whatsoever. And there's one person doing all the work and working overtime and paying all the bills and this other person sits at home not contributing. And I just hear of stories like that as well. And it's just, so there's there's so many different ways that it can occur But, you know, when I've said these sorts of things like financial abuse, there's so many people that say, what is that? What's financial abuse? It's just, it's not talked about enough. People are not so aware of it. And so, I just tend to think how many people are in situations, you know, being financially abused and not even know that it's a thing.
2: Yeah. And that's the whole thing, right? And that's why I would encourage anyone, if they get an inkling that something's a little bit weird, I want you to double down on that feeling of this feels a little bit weird. And I don't think it's, um, I was going to say emotional infidelity, like by going to a close friend or family member and saying, hey, you know, my partner's doing this. It feels a little bit weird. Like, I don't think you're being, um, I think it's healthy that you can do that. Definitely. and, And be brave to do that. Because I guess your blog, like teaching brave and everyone can check that out. At one point, we've all got to stand up and be brave in a situation.
3: Yeah, and I guess, you know, part of that. my title, Teaching Brave, was all about me sharing my experience as well because I'd spoken to friends and family about it and a lot of people had told me, you should share your story, you should tell other people out there, you should, I don't know, get on social media. I'm like, you know, that's it's too scary for me. It's uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to do that, I you know. Uh, but um, yeah, I guess that's where the title came from. It's you know, it's being brave enough to share my experience in you know um, how difficult it was for me to talk about it. Um, but you know, the opportunity to help others out there and you know help other people realize whether they're in an abusive relationship, to know that they can get out of it, mm. or whether they're a single mum thinking they're going to struggle forever, you know, realizing that they don't have to, mm. they can bring themselves out of a financially difficult situation. Yeah.
2: I I will um, also say that um, I think one of the things that you mentioned there, you know, with one partner staying home and not contributing financially, I mean, that's all well and good if it's a choice you've both agreed on. (laughs) But if it's that like-
3: Yeah, that's right.
2: That mindset of, no, I'm not doing it. You earn more than me. Get stuff. Yeah. Um, You know, it's that whole, you're not 15 anymore. Grow up. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that's a big thing. You're not a teenager anymore. Grow the hell up. Um, yeah, so,
3: 100%.
2: Moving from that part of the discussion, in the short time we've got left, at the top of the episode, yep. you talked about, you know, as a single parent, I'm empowered now not to struggle. And yeah. Do you think it was a, a firstly and foremostly, if that's a word, first and foremost, rather? Was it a, almost a, a mindset shift where it's like, hang on, everyone says I have to struggle. And people were telling you that you're struggling. I'm going to make a decision to give this my best shot so it isn't
3: Struggle Street. Yes, it was 100% because I had, you know, close family members that were sort of, I guess they didn't really say it out of any, you know, um, ill meaning. It was more they were worried for me Mm. and they sort of, you know, sort of said to me, you're a single mum, you're going to struggle. Mm. Sort of thing. Like it was, it was sort of came from a worried point of view. But at the same time, for me, I was, you know, I, I hadn't only heard it from family. I'd sort of, you hear lots of s- struggle stories, you know, it was single mum or no single mum, you hear lots of struggling stories, but particularly you hear the story of a struggling single mum. Mm. And I, I didn't want to be that. I thought to myself, I can't think of anything worse than struggling financially for the rest of my life. I do not want to struggle. I'll do everything that I possibly can to not struggle financially. And I thought if that, you know, that's going to start now, you know, as soon as I realized I was single, I thought, what what am I going to do to not be the stereotype, to not be the struggling single mum?
2: What practical things do you have in place in your life to ensure you're building your own financial future?
3: So, number one is living below my means. Mm. It really is. It's, you know, assessing how much have I got coming in and how much do I have going out? And if the going out is more than or equal to what's coming in, then you're going to struggle. Mm. So, it has to be living below your means and making sure that you've got surplus. So, for me, those sacrifices that I talked about when I was living in the cottage and I was clearing out flood, you know, Mm. pipes to make sure the house didn't flood and I was living on water that I couldn't drink and, you know, it was – you know, dealing with, you know, holes in the walls so that, you know, spiders and cockroaches could get in. I mean, yeah, it, it was a bit of a sacrifice at the time and I managed it somehow, but it meant that I could save. And, you know, I lived in that place for three years, but it meant that I could save, uh, you know, being a single mom, I, That was the most important thing to me was to have goals and, and, and not be that stereotype. So, mm. um, yeah, so it was living below my means and then just thinking about, you know, all of your outgoings and whether you can change any of those. So it comes down to the the small things, like looking at all your bills and thinking, you know, am I spending too much on these bills? Can I, you know, am I spending too much on my phone bill? I think at one point my phone bill was I'd finished my contract because i have got a phone and you know you're on a two year contract and so many people just continue on that same contract. I'm like, hang on a minute, I finished my contract. Yeah. I'm still paying the same amount. I can I can stop paying sixty five dollars a month. I can go and get a Boost prepaid card, pay two hundred bucks for. 12 months, and now I'm paying $15 or $16 or whatever it is per month, that makes a huge difference. So, it's looking at your bills, things like that, looking at insurances. Do I really need the top insurance or can I come a step down or can I pay more excess and therefore pay a lower premium? Um, you know, it's so it's, it's really analyzing your bills. Do you really need to be paying, um, you know, for three streaming services or mm. can you cut down? Can you share with somebody Um, you know, it's looking, it was looking at things like my son's extracurricular activities. At one point he was doing soccer and swimming lessons and dance and music. And I thought, hang on a minute, this is just all too much. Mm. You know, I can't be possibly paying for all of these extracurriculars. We can be doing sport and exercise for free. So we went and bought a couple of secondhand bikes on Gumtree and, you know, I canceled the dance and I canceled the music because he wasn't that into it anyway. And we do bike riding. So we go together. So now we can enjoy that time together and we go for bike rides or we go for bushwalks. And you know, so he still does the soccer because he loves his soccer during winter season, and that's okay. But um, you know, I cancelled like three extracurricular cu- things, so we can now exercise. You know, we do it together, and it's and it's a lot more affordable. Um, you know, I started selling household items. I had a lot of clutter that I didn't need, and it's amazing how much stuff you've got around your house that's valuable. So you know, selling stuff on Gumtree and, and Facebook Marketplace is it's an incredible goldmine. Um, not only selling my stuff, but I started selling friends things as well so i had some friends that were amazing and said oh you know my parents are moving house and they want to get rid of all this stuff they're going to take it to vinny's you know do you want to go and I don't know, sort through it or anything you want to keep or sell, take it. I'm, yep, sure, I'm there. You know, I'm 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 gonna you know build up this emergency fund of mine as much as I can. So I went over and I picked up a whole lot of stuff and they had some really valuable stuff and they you know I was offered to share the share the money with them and they sort of said no 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 you know we're happy for you to keep it just that we're going to take it to Vinnie's anyway so please take it sell it if you can sell it good on you so. You know, some of the things I brought home were like a a gramophone worth like $800, I think I sold it for, on Facebook Marketplace. And, um, you know, some other things like an antique telephone and, you know, some other random bits and pieces I was able to sell and and get cash. It was great. Um, You know, I had some other friends saying, oh, you know, I don't know how I wouldn't know where to start selling stuff on Gumtree and Facebook Marketplace. You know, how do I do that? And they said, oh, if you can do it for me, you know, I'll give you a cut of the profits. I'm like, sure, if you've got valuable stuff, I'm up for that. So, you know, just using a bit of extra time and a bit of extra resources to sell other friends things too and, you know, build up build up that cash reserve. You know, sometimes mm. it meant that I was getting enough cash to pay for groceries for the week and I didn't have to, you know, use that money from my paycheck. So, every, bits things like that make a real big difference, you know, selling things around the house, selling other people's things, having a side hustle.
2: So, may I ask how old you are now?
3: Yeah, sure. I'm 42.
2: Okay. So, you're 42. You've got... Uh, an 11-year-old son, you are well and truly, I guess, resolved in the fact that I'm a go-getter. I can actually do all this by myself. Um, I don't need anything to help because I'm confident I can do all this going forward, whatever my life looks like. My question is, and obviously tell me to shut up um, if it's not appropriate. (laughs) Because I'm thinking like, I want to make this point, but before I want to make this point, I want to make the point of something that I went through. I had a, um, I, I had a business once in the city, okay? And I yeah. it, it was actually causing me to have um, really bad reactive depression and to the point where I, I remember one week when I was living at Tumbi, um, for those on the Central Coast, I was renting a house. It was like for five or six days straight, I literally laid in bed all day, like just crippling depression, right? And, yeah. you know, you kind of, I made the decision to effectively stop doing that other business because it just didn't line up with my goals. And what I was getting, what like, and this is awesome, you know, hindsight's beautiful. But like looking back, I remember going, I am a failure, this situation sucks, I put myself into this situation and um, it didn't work out and blah, blah, blah. But almost this stages of grief loop wheel or whatever the stages are, right? It got to a point where, you know, I had to actually go, this sucks, I've, I've grieved this situation, I've mourned this situation, I've had hurt through it. And it's been X amount of time. And depending on what the situation is, you know, that X amount of time could be three days for some people. It could be three years for other people. We're all different and all that. There comes yeah. a point where I believe we have to say, all right, am I going to live in this pot of pity or am I going to stand up, be strong, be brave and go out and get the world? Now, yes. I'm saying this wrapped in... Uh, love and grace and understanding, because I know some people might not be able to stand up and go and get the world without some counseling and psychology. And I've done all that stuff as well. What I wanted to get at is, I believe you got to a point where you're like, I've got to stand up and I've got to get out there. And all this stuff happened. Yeah, I put myself into that relationship, didn't work out, couldn't control all that. Yep. Yeah. I've grieved, I've mourned. Now I've got to get on with it for not only myself, but for my son. And yeah. you've got to do it for yourself, number one. But also- a, a
3: Yeah, 100%. Clear.
2: So, I guess back to the personal budget thing. I know I'm ranting, but I've just got all this stuff that I've written down. That's okay. <laughs> so, when I talk about exa- like consumer debt, for ex- for an example, I'm not guilting you and I'm not shaming you I'm just encouraging you to say, hey, you're in a position. I don't think it's ideal from my own experience. I know it's better on the other side. Let me encourage you. And, and that's the whole thing. We've, we're in this weird thing with society, how feelings are hurt so much. And you might be in personal loan debt at the moment. You might be in consumer debt that you can't get out of it. I'm not saying that he's a whole heap of shame over you. I'm saying, hey, I want to encourage you to go forward without that stuff because I know it's going to be better. Bringing this right back, I wrote down um, a couple of things here, dance and music for your son, right, Andy? Yeah. And you actually, you were like, well, you know what? I can't bloody afford this. Yeah, and,
3: but at the same time, he wasn't that into it as well. That's yeah, right. I, but at the, at the time of enrolling him, I felt like I was doing it to keep up with the Joneses. I honestly felt like there were that many people. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Sorry. No,
2: no, no. I, I, and I will. Like, I want to say, don't be guilted into spending money you don't have by paying for music, dance, all these other extracurricular activities and it goes. Have you actually read my book, Liz? Or have you seen no, it? No,
3: I've seen it, and I really want to. I really oh, want to have a good read. Text me so your postal I, I address, yet.
2: and I'll I'll send you a copy as my gift.
3: Oh, I would love that. That'd be amazing. Thank you.
2: In the book, I really talked about like the budgeting hierarchy, and people when they get caught out, what happens is they put priorities in baseline expenses. So, you know, our priorities in life could be uh, food, clothing, transportation utilities, you know, rent, mortgage payments, like basic baseline things. Yeah. So, basically what yeah. happens is as life goes on and and you're a really good example, you've gone, hang on, I've only got an income now. I've got to focus on my baseline stuff first. If I can't do 15 other activities uh, for my son, well, I'll spend some quality time with him. We will be active. It's not forever. It's just for a season because the problem is- yeah. What people do, allegedly, you know, I'm tampering my opinion here, they put luxuries in the baseline category and then what happens is they end up doing the buy now, pay later for clothes and stuff. So, it's just- Yes. So, I just think it's great that you've gone, hang on, just because I've had this story of I'm now a single parent, just because I've had this story that- I've got a son and child support was a bit weird every now and again. And I just because I had this story where I had to, you know, pay my own rent or mortgage payment, it doesn't give me a pass on basic maths. And that sounds really hard. Yep. But the maths and the dollars don't give a crap about anyone's situation. They actually don't. It's yep, just right. it's numbers. Like the fact is X exactly. amount coming in, X amount going out for bills, whatever's left over, they don't give a crap. If you're the happiest, you know, nuclear family or whatever they call it in the world or you're single parents studying, the numbers don't give a crap. Yeah. So, you have to honour the numbers. No, not
4: at all. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thus concludes my TED Talk. You're welcome. Good night, Sydney. Um, <laughs> got a bit ranty there.
4: And that's no, it. That's like,
2: right. it's not a place of... um. Emotional justification that I have to go into debt to pay for this. I have to go into debt to pay for this. I understand that people might do that and not knowing it and wake up one day and go, oh, there's a lot of debt here. Oh, I was emotionally justifying that. Hey, once you know, you've got no excuse. Once you know, and then you go and keep doing it and you really know it's emotional justification, that's on you. Yep but if you don't know, that's all good. And we're not saying this with guilt or shame. We all go through this spectrum of learning and understanding and hindsight, right?
3: Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we, we've all made mistakes and, you know, I look back at my situation and hundred percent I've made mistakes all over the place, but, you know, what would be tragic is if I kept making the same mistakes or, you know, if I didn't learn. Um, so, you know, I've I've, listened to podcasts, I've read blogs, I've, you know, read books and learned as much as I can about, you know, personal finance, about investing, and, you know, started my investing journey, which, you know, I'm I'm so happy to say that I've done last started last year. And, you know, just be aware of your personal finance situation. I think that's key as well to, you know, preventing financial abuse, whether you're in a relationship or not is being 100% aware of your money, of what's coming in and what's going out and every little thing to do with your money, you know, be aware of your super. I think that's a big one as well when it comes to a lot of young people or not even just young people, a a lot of people out there don't know even, you know, where their super is or whether they've got multiple funds or not or, you know. Uh, how much they've got in their super or whether their employer is even paying super. So, I think that, that's a huge one as well. A lot of people are not aware of, you know, all aspects of their financial situation, you know, whether superannuation, things coming in, the bills that they've got, whether they can reduce their bills, um, you know, trying to make sure they've got a surplus, you know, whether they can take on a side hustle to get extra cash and being aware of, you know, everything. So, I think that's key to preventing financial abuse.
2: Yeah. And the whole thing is, right, like if we look going forward, like you as a single parent, you know, it's hard to live on less than you earn. You know, it's hard to, you know. It really is hard. Yeah. You know, it's hard to, um, you know, maybe pull a child out of a couple of sports a week if they really like it. You know, that's really hard. But guess what? The other side, being in debt, not having good money management, living week on week, that's also hard. So, yeah, choose your hard.
3: Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, what's what's the other alternative? Yeah,
2: choose your hard. And we've all got to choose our hard. It's a big thing for me at the moment with like even my own life and some of the things I'm looking at. I mean, everything's hard, but just choose your hard. Exactly. And I know, I know that with our money, choosing the hard that is respecting that you've got to live on less than you earn. That's hard, but I know in the future, it makes it a lot easier. Oh, for sure. And I will say while I'm on this rant, as a single parent, I don't really mind if you are living week on week, scraping by, not saving that much money, as long as you're not going into debt. And I want to encourage you What's some things that you can do to start just educating yourself at no cost, whether it's listening to different podcasts, having read of a couple of books, just invest in your own education and knowledge because the time will come when you will get a higher income. The time will come and I want you to be ready. So, there's no guilt or shame if you are living on the edge, but just keep out of consumer debt because that's what will make your life really hard
3: yeah I think that's I think that's really important and I think you've even touched on one of your podcasts before is having goals and really focusing on those goals mm. and you know that's that's you know a big point for me as well you know if, whether you're a single mum or you're not whether you think you're being financially abused you know what are your goals mm. you know where do you want to be where do you want to be in one year or five years you know do you want to be out of consumer debt are you fine with living paycheck to paycheck like you were saying. You know, it depends on what your goals are and, you know, if you want to set goals, what are you going to do to achieve those goals? What are you going to put in place, put in practice to try to get you there? Because, you know, if you've got a goal and you've got no strategy or way to get you there, then um, maybe you need help or maybe you need guidance. But there's no point having goals if you can't put together a strategy or a way of how you can achieve those goals.
2: Mm. Love it! Hey, uh, you can find Liz's website teachingbrave.com, and you will have some resources on there for people who need to reach out for help anywhere at different places like um, Lifeline, uh, one eight hundred respect, and all those contact details.
3: Yeah, for sure.
2: And, yep, sweet. And we'll, we'll also put them in the show notes as well. But loud and clear, like you're never alone. You're um, if you're listening to this, you, you're not alone. You've got support of. My Millennial Money, and we'll do what we can by encouraging you. And thank you so much, Liz, for being open and transparent. Now, before we go, Liz, any final things that you've just been wanting to get off your chest that we didn't get to?
3: Um, I think we've covered everything. Um, I think it's just, you know, I think we've we've covered a lot there and I'm really happy with what I've shared. Um, I think it, it definitely comes down to identifying what financial abuse is in terms of the topic of this podcast, um, understanding what it is and what it looks like. And uh, being able to identify it is key to getting out of it if that's what you need to do.
2: Mm, Love it. Cool. All right, Liz, thank you so much. And we'll uh, talk again soon.
3: Thanks, Glenn. It's been great to have a chat.